This is the Amadon Planet Podcast, episode 15. I am your host, Joel Amadon, and I hope this recording finds you well. And also, a belated Happy New Year. I know we're about, uh, I think at the, rec- at the recording of this podcast, we're about 15 days in the new year, but I'm going to hang on to it just for a little bit because it ties into the theme for this podcast, which we'll get into in just a second. But just excited for 2020. 2020 has started off just with a bang. Um, and. <laughs> And just a little insight, I'm recording this podcast from Kenya, where I've gotten a chance to uh, work with the 410 Bridge. Uh, I've talked about the 410 Bridge a little bit on some previous episodes. One was the one with Carissa uh, Chandler, where we talked about when helping hurts uh, and talked about our trip to Camp Marie, Haiti. But this time I'm in Kenya and we're looking at schools and seeing some of the good stuff that's happening and thinking about how we can help meet some challenges in a way that um, honors what the what the teachers are doing here in Kenya and looking at, hey, this teacher's doing some awesome things here. This teacher has a need that kind of matches up with that thing that that teacher does awesome. How can they collaborate? Anyway, we're looking at that and it's just exciting to be here, but also just gotten getting inspired to record some podcasts. So here we go. We're going to do this one on, and we're going to call this one Create, which is lessons from Rick Rubin, Malcolm Gladwell, and the Broken Record podcast which you're like, Amadon, what are you doing? Why are we doing a podcast about another podcast? Well, again, remember the purpose of the Amadon Planet podcast is to look at different media outlets. So a lot of times it's been books, right? We have done uh, other podcasts. We've also had some interviews with some folks where they've chosen the books. But in this case, I got turned on to this podcast, the Broken Record podcast with Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell, two very interesting people coming together for this one podcast podcast. And it was actually Dr. Ellen Foster, from a colleague that I work with at the University of Mississippi that turned me on to this podcast. And so a little bit of background on that. So I, she's pretty active on Instagram. And every now and then I like to post these Amazon Planet songs of the day or AP songs of the day, hashtag AP songs of the day. And for Christmas, I did the 12 songs of Christmas, 12 AP songs of Christmas. And um, for that, I did, for one of the days, I did Drummer Boy by Wycliffe, a Drummer Boy cover by Wycliffe Jean. And she saw that and she just sent me a little message. Hey, had you heard of this podcast with Wycliffe? And she knows I, I'm interested in, in working in, or I've done work in Haiti, and she knows I'm interested in Haiti. And she's like, hey, have you seen this podcast called Broken Record where Wycliffe Jean is interviewed? And I'm like, oh, no, I hadn't seen that. But then I looked into it, and like, it's a, it's a podcast with Rick Rubin and Malcolm Gladwell where they talk about, um, they call it what? Broken Record is the liner notes for the digital era. I think that's the the tagline that they use. But anyway, I, I was like, wow, I like music. I like Malcolm Gladwell. I like Rick Rubin. I like Wyclef. So I took a, a listen, and it was amazing what uh, the content that uh, Wyclef talked about. And then it has a and all the other podcast episodes that they have from the Broken Record podcast were just very interesting. I mean, like Rick Rubin is talking about recording with Tom Petty. Uh, rest in peace, uh, talking about some of his other background. Rick Rubin has a big background in the history of rock and roll, history of hip hop, and then also in thinking about what he's done for artists in kind of giving them a second life. Like, I mean, the most famous example is Johnny Cash, but then he's also recorded some of my favorite, my favorite band right now, the Avett Brothers, uh, their album, their one of their latest albums, or at least the one that I purchased recently. And also this kind of goes in line with I started getting into vinyl, so really gotten into being kind of an audiophile sort of 
in my old age of 40, looking at all the different albums from the past and then thinking about the history of music and just really fascinated by music. And so this podcast got me thinking about what my word of the year is and just a little bit of background on that word of the year. I know like the dictionaries put out a word of the year and, and that's, that's separate from this, but I heard about a word of the year from the Craig Rochelle leadership podcast, which we've talked about recently. Uh, on this podcast. But anyway, in Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast, I think a few years ago, he talked about having like a word of the year. And basically, it's like a a mini mission or vision statement in a single word that for that year, that's what you're going to use to like guide your decisions. That's what you're going to like lean toward is that one word. So uh, one year, my word of the year was relationships. So in my decision making, in my plans, I wanted to guide towards relationships. If there's a decision between, you know, staying in my office and working on something or maybe working on that same thing out in a common space where people could come up and bother me so I could build on relationships either with my students or with other faculty. I'm going to do that. Um, If there was a chance for uh, having coffee with somebody, all right, we're going to lean into those relationships. So that was one one year. Another year was margin. (laughs) So that was about creating space in my life so that I'm not being rushed all the time or that I would have time to read that book with my son or read a book personally or uh, play games or just creating margin in order, well, probably in order to build relationships, right? So maybe the, I can't remember which one came first, but maybe those relationships came first and I realized, hey, I don't have a lot of margin. So like the next year's word was margin. This year, based off this podcast and how it's kind of inspired me and, and some of the things that I've been doing, especially with this podcast, is thinking about the word create. So create is my word of the year. And Thinking about creating from a this podcast perspective, from a uh, writing perspective. I'm trying to do a couple writing projects that are, I think, a little ambitious, but hey, let's use the word of the year to kind of inspire that or kind of motivate behind that. And then also thinking about the word create with regards to teaching, right? And so when I was listening to the Wyclef podcast and then listened to a bunch of other ones from this podcast, uh, a bunch of other episodes from the Broken Record podcast, I just got some ideas for, hey, this is how this could apply to teaching. And that, and I think that's, again, the point of this podcast is to get better at teaching, right? Lead people to love others through teaching and just to get better at teaching. And no matter what area you're in, if you're a parent, if you're a, a classroom teacher, if you're a professor, if you're someone that doesn't train, anytime you interact with someone, again, to develop a relationship with content, you are teaching. And so we all have something to learn, and I think we all have something that we could take away from this podcast. And just it's very interesting. I mean, just if you have any interest in music and some of the history of music, and uh, I mean, he interviews his people from, or the, in this podcast, they interview people from country, from rock, from hip hop. I mean, it's just all very interesting. And so we're going to get into it. So we're getting right into the categories. But before we do, this episode has a sponsor. I don't know if you knew that. This episode has a sponsor. It's the Amazon Planet Store, but more specifically, it's you, right? So through the uh, purchases of some of the Be The Good shirts uh, that if you follow me on Instagram, you might see in some of those, this podcast has been supported. This episode has been supported through those purchases. So the production uh, basically created those shirts to help offset some of the production costs of the Amazon Planet podcast. And it's amazing the response and we're well on into getting supported through 2020. So just really appreciate that. Try to keep the production costs to a minimum. But I think what's also been able to happen is through those um, purchases, through the support, able to 
hopefully increase audio quality. Now, this one, because we're recording on a mobile device through in Kenya, maybe the audio quality is not as good as it could be. But in the future, we're done a little bit of upgrades. So hopefully you see that and uh, can tell me anything else that you might think might need some improvement through some of the social media channels. But again, thank you for your uh, support of the podcast, for liking, sharing, reviewing, and then also for the purchase of those Be The Good shirts. And they're still there if you want. We'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast. So let's get into the categories. So we have our high five, so our five learnings from the Broken Record podcast series uh, by, again, Malcolm Gladwell, Rick Rubin, Bruce Edlam, and Justin Richmond. Again, love that combination of people. It just kind of adds to the adds to the interesting part of the podcast. Kind of tangled my words there. Oh, well. Anyway, here's our high five. So when, when the first uh, thing I wanted to, that I want to take away from it is to make a space to create or a space to be personal or vulnerable. And you think about creating music. I mean, you're putting stuff out there and you're seeing if people like it and you, or you want trying to express something. A lot of times you're tapping into some emotions. You're really doing some things that, again, personal or vulnerable, right? And so you think like Rick Rubin has his production studio, which is called Shangri-La, and he's created it as a space where artists can really come and open up and do things that might not be comfortable. Like when you think about, go back to the Johnny Cash example, Johnny Cash was a legend, is a legend. And at the time that Rick Rubin worked with him, he was probably on some down times, right? He wasn't, he wasn't this, he wasn't Johnny Cash. I mean, he was like Johnny Cash and he was playing probably at some casinos and things. And Rick Rubin came in and said, Hey, I want you to play some of these songs, these songs that you know, like a personal Jesus, there's a Nine Inch Nails song, the Hurt song, and I want you to play them how you would play them. Like you've heard, here's how would you hear them being played by their artists, play them how you would play them. And it just was amazing. But the thing is, Johnny Cash had to be, uh, had to step into a place where he'd be willing to play these other people's songs and, and take a risk. And so you need to have a space in order to do that. And then other examples are uh, Bon Iver, who's Justin Vernon, which kind of have a personal connection to. I don't know him, but he's from where I'm from in Wisconsin, the north woods of Wisconsin. Eau Claire actually is where Justin is from. And the fact that he's talking about this, these places that he's created. So uh, the uh, hunting cabin is where he created his first album, uh, Forema Forever Ago, which has the song Skinny Love and Flume in it. Uh, just this, the family's hunting cabin where he went when his band had broken up. He didn't really have any prospects. He was kind of waiting to start school to become a teacher. It sounded like he was going to become a music teacher. But in that time where it's just him, his guitar, uh, some recording equipment, and a computer, he created this amazing album. And it was, a, again, a place where he could be vulnerable, a place where he could tap into some personal things. And now he's trying to create a space, kind of like Shangri-La that Rick Rubin has in this, I think it's called April Basin. So also in some other examples, one from hip-hop is, uh, I believe it's The Dungeon, where Andre 3000, Outkast, Goody Mob, kind of created in Atlanta. And it was, I mean, this space that they created this amazing music in was underneath a house, you know, like, Joel, that's called a basement. It really wasn't really a basement. It was like the dirt floor and, you know, you could see the um, rafters underneath, and you're like, how can you see that stuff in a podcast? Well, there's also this uh, 
Netflix show called, I think it's called Hip Hop Evolution. And it just basically is about the history of hip hop. A really awesome show if you have an, any interest in hip hop or just even if you just history of music. It's really interesting to see some of that. And they, they show this place, this space where all this amazing music kind of came out of or these amazing groups came out of. I mean, it was a, obviously a safe place for them to get creative, to figure out what their sound uh, sounds like. And, and there's another uh, documentary called, about Sound City called Sound City, where is this amazing studio in uh, L.A. where Fleetwood Mac, Nirvana uh, created some amazing music. And then the documentary goes into how the Foo Fighters uh, lead guy, oh, man, cannot pull it. I'm getting old, folks. But anyway, talks about how he took the board from that place and put it in his own place. Anyway, so having that cr- space to create in order to be personal and vulnerable? And how do we make our classrooms to be those spaces? Because you think about some of the um, standards for mathematical practice from the Common Core, the first one primarily being make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. To persevere means that you are going to struggle. And basically, you are putting students in places where they need to struggle. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, uh, previous episodes. And to have a space where I feel okay not knowing what to do, where I'm on the edge of my understanding and I'm trying to uh, move to that next step. I mean, I need to basically, I need to say like, I don't know this, but I, I'm, I feel okay in struggling and trying to figure it out, right? And so we, how do we create those spaces? How do we make sure that we, uh, it's comfortable, right? We're not in rows and columns. Maybe we're sitting in groups and thinking about how do we structure those groups? How do we make sure that we have a culture of support in those groups that we're not also not doing some of those things that we talked about in the last podcast with, or two podcasts ago with my son, talked about where we're not rescuing, right? We're not um, stressing people out. We're not, uh, you know, basically abandoning uh, folks. How do we make sure that we create the right amount of support for students to be in that space where they can create solutions to problems, right? And also, I mean, definitely that sticks into with English and language arts or any any sort of place where you want someone to take that next step, but doing it in a uh, and, and not telling them what to do and getting them an opportunity to really think and be creative around a solution. I mean, we need to create that. We need to create that environment where they can do that. And so, I think that was uh, something I really liked from the podcast. Another one is Don't Fear Boredom. And then going back to Justin Vernon or Bon Iver, uh, when he created that album, Forever Forever Go, up in the hunting cabin, I mean, he was bored. Like, he has three months there, and, you know, this is pre-internet, so he didn't, uh, well, not pre-internet, but it, it didn't sound like he had access to, in the podcast episode, it didn't sound like he had a lot of access to the internet. Um, and he basically sat and watched a lot of Northern Exposure DVDs. Again, this is from the podcast. I would suggest you go listen to it if you have any um, interest in in it. But anyway, so he's sitting there and listening to or watching uh, Northern Exposure. He's, you know, got his guitar and eventually it leads to the creation of some beautiful music. But the boredom was a, an ingredient, right? And I believe there's something there about the idea of being bored, right? And thinking about some of the different things that we shouldn't be scared of boredom. Like in boredom is where I think inspiration does happen. And I mean, there's this, this famous math story of Gauss who is being tasked with this, 
well, he's being given this task of adding the numbers one to a hundred, right? So I think he was, and this is kind of a myth, math myth, but I think the story, it's got some truth. It's all over the internet. So it must be true, right? So he's set to, he, he was basically doing his math. He was done with it, but his teacher needed some space, like needed some time to just breathe for a second. So he's like, all right, Gauss, you go in the corner, go add these numbers one to 100 and, you know, get back to me when you're done thinking, hey, I'm going to have some time. And so he probably started adding those numbers, but eventually he figured out this idea like, oh, if I had one in 100, I get 101. If I had two in 99, I get 101. If I had three in 98, I get 101. And then he figured out if you basically like take the numbers one to 100 and like fold them in half, right? So the, the end of one end, one, and the other end, 100, like land on top of each other and the rest of the numbers land on top of each other, you would get all these 101s. Right? So then how many 101s? Well, I folded it in half, so there's 50. There's 50 101s. So now 1 to 100 is just the first number plus the last number times by half of the amount of numbers. And so that is how he came up with this basically formula for how to calculate uh, the sum of a series of numbers. Kind of amazing, right? So embrace boredom, right? All right, so we got make space to create, uh, make a space to create or a space to be personal and vulnerable. That's our, one of our learnings. Next one is don't fear boredom. Third one is a leverage relationships. This is one of my favorite stories from uh, the Broken Record podcast is on the Black Keys. And Black Keys, if you've not heard them, if you like rock, listen to the Black Keys. I mean, they are bluesy kind of, uh, man, they just kind of sound like raw sort of rock. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great stuff. And it's a, it would start off a, a two-person band, right? And they're Pat and Dan, uh, Pat Carney and Dan Auerbach. And they were they, they're from Akron. They knew of each other. They played music together, um, or they kind of learned music together. Uh, their brothers were best friends, but they both had desires in music, but they never kind of thought about working together until their brothers said, hey, you know, you guys should play together, right? And so then it turns out that Dan, who was a, a working musician, was trying to create uh, demos so that he could get some tapes get sent out. And Pat had recording equipment, so Pat was going to record Dan with his band. Well, the band doesn't show up, and they're like, well, we're both here. Our brothers say we should jam together. Well, let's do it and let's let's hit record. And they do it, and on the podcast they have a recording of like the first time they play together, and they sound like they could they played last night, and they kind of Rick Rubin kind of laughed about it. He's like, "This is amazing, this is great. I cannot believe that this is the first time you played together." And they just had this sinking right, and this this idea of like that they just created like this magic, but it wasn't magic, right? They had started playing together and well, it was kind of magical. I mean, when I listen to it, I'm like, wow, that is amazing. But the fact that their relationships, the relationships they had with each other, like knew that they each other played music, they had some comfort there and that their brothers encouraged them to come do this thing together has now created a band that's been together for what, 20 years, right? And, and just even to go further into the amazing part of the story, like that, you know, their first time they sounded like the band that they were, well, they, they said, well, we should just form a group. And they formed the group. They recorded a record in like an hour and a half and then sent it out two weeks later. 
two weeks later, they sent it out. And then two weeks after that, they had a record deal. They had never played a show before, right? They had never done anything before. And now all of a sudden, they've got a recording deal. It's just, it's unreal. But it's about, and what I took from it is leveraging the relationships, right? And thinking about what, what's the magic that can happen within these relationships. And it kind of get me thinking about, you know, some of the things, the common things you hear in classrooms or is about relationships and thinking about, well, those two are good friends and we need to what? Separate them because they're going to talk. Well, that was the old way. That was, that was rows and columns, like everyone shut up, listen to the teacher, and that's how you're going to get your learning, right? Your learning is going to come from me. It's like a, I'm a, I've got a bucket of water. I open up your head, and the, within the bucket is learning. I'm just going to dump it in your head. You don't need to talk to other people because I'm the one delivering knowledge to you. It's a one-way deal, and it's just I'm pouring water into you. You don't dare pour water into anyone else. It's just me as the teacher. And that's not how we're doing it anymore, folks. We, and we understand that. We've seen that. If you, especially if you're doing something that's outside of a traditional classroom, you know how you learn, right? You're going to get mentored. You're going to interact with folks that are in the know. You're going to um, have opportunities to get training and development from others. And it's not going to be just this sit and get sort of situation. Or if it is, you know that's not as effective as ones where we're going to interact. And so thinking about that idea of friends or people that have a, a relationship and they know how to talk to each other, that's an asset. Why would I not use that asset? Especially thinking from me as a teacher where if everyone's in rows of columns, that means I have to have a direct relationship with every single student where every single student is not going to like hear it from me or they're not going to learn it from me. They're like, I go to dump in the knowledge and their head's not open, right? To me. But if we use those relationships, if we leverage those relationships, now if I think about it, I've got, let's just talk about two people that are friends. If one of them can hear me and understand me or, or like gets it, gets what I'm trying to convey within a lesson, within an experience, and, but the other one doesn't, but they have this relationship where, you know what, hey, I, I, I know how to explain things to you. I know how to, I know what kind of experiences you've had and I can make these connections and they do that. So now I just have to make sure to have a connection with at least one of them and it's going to get to them another way, right? It's kind of like instead of going the direct route on a plane to from one place to another, I've got to just make a stop, right? So the learning just needs to make a stop in a location. And so leveraging relationships in that case is, is just so good. And that also this got me thinking, um, or not got me thinking, I, I was sent a, an article by Carissa. Carissa is someone I took some uh, classes with. She's up back up in Wisconsin, and it was so great to hear from her. But she sent me this article on a teacher that does assessments on relationships, right? And I'll post a, a link to the article in the, the class notes because I'm not going to remember all the details right now. And, and, and Wi-Fi is a little bit spotty in my hotel room in Kenya. But right now, uh, she talked about the, these assessments that this teacher would do every Friday. And she'd ask a series of questions. Again, I'll post them in the – or the article will be posted in the, the uh, notes for this episode. And the assessment was to, was kind of getting directly at, you know, who do you want to work with, who's doing well in the class. But then she would also know, well, who's not on that list? Who, the teacher would say, who's not being named as someone that people want to work with? And what do we need to do about that, right? What do we need to do to make sure people are, everyone is connected, right? That if I think about my class as a, you know, if I do like a mathematical um, 
modeling map. Anyway, I make a dot for every student, right? And then I make connections between all the students who say they want to work together. Who are the dots that aren't being connected to anybody, right? Um, that is that is huge information to know. And now I'm trying to make sure I have a connected classroom that everyone has a relationship they can get uh, they can get connected to. Not just for learning purposes, but also just you don't want people to be lonely, right? You want people to be a, feel like they're a part of something. And a healthy classroom, a social, a social, emotional, healthy classroom or a healthy space, you know, whatever, office, uh, um, uh, classroom, um, any sort of team, any sort of environment we've got people involved, you want people to feel connected, right? Feel part of what's going on. And so I really like that. And I'm thankful that Chris has shared with me that article and something I want to share with my students when we start class next week about, you know, this idea of relationships is something that we can't ignore, right? We have to, uh, we can't ignore, but then we also need to leverage like the Black Keys did, like what we learned in the podcast. All right, so we got three learnings so far. Make a space to create, space to be personal or vulnerable. Don't fear boredom. Leverage relationships. Another one is do more. So if you're going to be doing something, why not do more with it, right? And I'm not saying that you need to actually do more, like you need to put more tasks on your list, but if you're going to do this thing, why not do some more with it? So for the example comes back to the Wyclef episode where he's talking about his latest album, I think it's called Back to School, where he is working with kids, these kids that are trying to produce music, and he is then working individually with each of them to help them like make their, uh, make their creation come to life, right? And so Wyclef, obviously, he makes music, and he can make music. He doesn't need these kids. But he's like, what an opportunity to work with these kids and basically almost inspire this next generation of artists. And and again, listening to that podcast, you figure out, you find out how talented Wyclef is and how he was just willing to just go for it. And there's many examples. There's one a hilarious one where he just shows up and gets in this music video just by showing up and just kind of saying, "Hey, I'm a part of the band." It's just is pretty cool. But. Um, but thinking about if I'm going to be doing something, how can I do more with it, right? If I have a context where I can, uh, and so one of the things I was thinking about is these opportunities for uh, using different context. Well, let me just say first, one thing that made me think about right away with Do More is thinking when Wyclef is using his songs to work with kids to kind of inspire them and, and help them create their uh, create the music they want to create. I went back to that this example of the Sip of Hope coffee shop, which we've talked about on this uh, podcast in a previous episode, which is favorite uh, favorite coffee shop in Chicago. It's by my sister-in-law's, where they are selling coffee, but at the same time, all the all the proceeds are going to benefit mental health and suicide prevention. Awesome, right? They're using their passion in order to do something. If they're going to sell coffee and they care about this thing, how can they? They're doing more, right? They're doing more and. And even like when I went during the holidays and they were, they were closed one day because I would walk the dog by there and get a cup of coffee and they're closed one day. But on their closed sign, it says, hey, we're closed, but if you need help, here's a suicide prevention hotline. Here are some other places you can go if you just need some, some help if you're looking for that here. And it's just do more. They're doing more with their closed sign. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, and, and going into the classroom, thinking about if I'm going to do something like teaching math for social justice, right? So teaching math for social justice about thinking about how to leverage community knowledge, critical knowledge, uh, kind of functional sort of cl classical sort of knowledge, like 
knowledge you need to pass the next test sort of thing. Anyway, teaching math for social justice might be as simple as how can I replace a context to dive into uh, an issue, right? So if I'm going to teach about mean and median, maybe we talk about mean and median household incomes, right? And see that the mean is way higher than the median. And so we can say, well, why is the mean way higher than the median? Well, there's some people that make a really a lot of money and then the median uh, says what is the middle number. So there's a, a lot on the top end, but not a lot of funds on the bottom end, right? And so we can use that to kind of understand, well, what does this, what does this mean for our society? How is uh, wealth distributed, whatnot? And just to have a better understanding of it, right? Um, and this gets me into you know thinking of my friends uh, Matt Felton and Courtney Kessler, where they talk about teaching is political. Like every decision you make is saying something within a classroom, or every every time I'm doing something in a classroom, I'm saying something. And even it's as simple as when I set up my classroom, right? When I'll go into my classroom on Tuesday, the the chairs and tables are going to be in rows and columns, all facing the board. I'm immediately going to change that. I want them to be in groups facing each other, right? So that's a decision. That's a decision I made. And, and what does it say is that, you know, the front of the room is not as important. The front of the room where I am usually is not as important as you interacting with a peer, right? That that group is more important than the front of the room. Yes, you can see the front of the room. All you got to do is turn your head a little bit. But right in front of you is another person, and so, you know, I'm making a decision, right? It's not a neutral decision. I'm basically saying something with that decision on, on what I want, uh, what is important in the classroom. I'm making a value statement, right? And so, and also, like, what do I use that first few minutes of the class to do, right? Am I going to, like, hand out a syllabus? No, we're not going to hand out a syllabus. We're going to do something that says a little bit of something about what the class is about. So how can we do more with what we're being tasked to do or yeah so with Wyclef with his music with just simple decisions about how we set up our class or even just you know uh, <laughs> one thing I do is I bring my own cup to coffee shops because I don't want to waste uh, a coffee cup right I've got a cup I'm gonna bring it I mean that's just a small decision that I'm, I'm trying to do more I'm go if I'm gonna buy a cup of coffee I'm gonna do more by bringing my own cup you know, it's little things like that. So how can we do more with what we're being tasked to do with our teaching, right? So we can do that with context. We can do that how we set up the room. We can do that with what we choose to spend our time with, right? How we use our time in the classroom. Fantastic. So final thing that, uh, final learning I have for the podcast is on this struggle. So, you know, you can get caught up in, you know, hearing the story of the Black Keys or even hearing about Justin Vernon. You think, like, there's a formula, like, oh, I'm just going to go up to a cabin and I'm going to be basically be able to create uh, an amazing album. Or I'm going to sit down with a friend and we're going to create the greatest rock album. Or, you know, and that's, that's a myth, right? That doesn't actually happen. And the thing that I saw is, like, what, what you have to remember behind this is that they've done all this preparation up to this point where this beautiful stuff happens, right? So Justin Vernon, when uh, the Bon Iver was in a band beforehand and was playing a lot of music, was writing songs in school, and then had the, then came to this point where he's in the cabin for three months and was able to create this beautiful album. Uh, Pat Carney and Dan Auerbach, they 
they did all sorts of preparation where they practiced their instruments. I mean, actually, Pat Carney was a uh, guitarist, but when we said, saw how good Dan Orbach was, he went back to his, his drumming that he had done before, not recently, according to what they said on the podcast, but he had, he had prepared, he had done drumming before, he knew how to drum. And so they had prepared, they had done all this preparation up until this point where they're ready. They're ready to create something. They just might not have known it. Right. And so that kind of this, this, the terminology that I'm using is preparation, incubation, and then leading to the point where they actually create this beautiful thing, this inspiration. Right. And so they've done this stuff and that terminology came from the uh, rest podcast that we did a few episodes ago, uh, many episodes ago now, but where they talk about, again, doing preparation. And then you, once you've done the preparation, you've done all the work up to solving the problem, in this case, creating beautiful music. Then you have this incubation period where you're playing around and then boom, inspiration happens and the beautiful thing comes out. But you have to do that preparation. Otherwise, you don't have a foundation. You don't have anything to lean on. Same thing goes in the classroom, right? How can we make sure that kids have the foundation in order to do this beautiful creation, right? You, you're only able to do what you have in your toolbox, right? If I don't know, if I don't have the prior knowledge leading up to, leading up to this problem, right? And just speaking from a mathematical perspective, if I don't have that prior knowledge, it's gonna be really hard to have this, this, these beautiful creative moments where I can solve these problems without having this, this background. So making sure that it is important to have this, well, the background, the background knowledge, the, the preparation up until that point to where when you're struggling, you have everything you need. You just need to put those pieces together. So, all right. So those are my five, my high five. So fantastic. We got that down. So make a space to create a space to be personal and vulnerable. How can we make our classrooms like that or wherever that we're doing it, our teaching? Don't fear boredom. So like, it's okay if we're providing something that's a little tedious because if they, if students or those that we're teaching come up with some better way to do it because of the tediousness, boom, we're, we're winning. Leverage relationships. So making sure that we're not ignoring those relationships in the spaces that we have, but also ig- not ignoring the lack of relationships, you know, kind of dealing with that article that Carissa shared. We also want to do more um, with our decisions. So let's make every... And this actually probably is better. Make every decision intentional, right? If I'm going to do something, how can I make it connect to something else? How can I make this these decisions intentional so that I can maximize the effort that I'm putting into it? Okay, so Wyclef is making the, the album and he says, hey, I can work with some kids to do this. Uh, and the final one is to do the work up to inst- inspiration or basically be prepared for struggle, Okay. All right, so now uh, I want to talk about a some 2020 hindsight. So the more you know, this is when we think, okay, if I, if Joel, if I had all this information, what would I have done differently in the past? And there's just a few things that thinking about my own teaching. So context replacement. So kind of mentioned it a little bit in the do more learning, but thinking about how there's so many problems. There's how could I be more intentional with the context that I'm using in problems and don't just use what the book has given me, but thinking about, well, Hey, this, this problem that I'm doing, I could really easily take off the context and put something else on that means a little something more to my students. So for example, I have an example of that. We had this data unit coming up where we're going to be 
looking at, I can't remember, even remember what the data was about, but we're basically looking to do some uh, measures of center, so mean, median, mode, and measures of spread, so looking at uh, different measures of variability within the data. And so we just needed data. And they gave us, the book gave us data. But then at the, just before that, one of my students, <laughs> very uh, colorfully, asked me, why are we doing so much homework? He actually said, why are we doing so much effing homework? But he didn't say effing, he said the actual word. And it was on a piece of paper that he had to hand in before uh, a, a celebration or a tester quiz. What I, I call them celebrations because we're celebrating our learning. Anyway, he asked, why do we have so much homework in a very colorful way? Well, passionate way. And, um, and I had heard some other people like say something similar. Man, we always have homework in this class. And I didn't call it homework. I call it practice, but they called it homework a lot of times. But anyway, they, I was like, well, we have this data unit. Why don't we collect some data on how much time people are spending on different subject areas? And let's, let's analyze. Let's see, let's see, you know, maybe, maybe there is, maybe, maybe they're true. Maybe, maybe I do assign too much work outside of the school day. And again, and we could get into further. There's some research talking about whether even having any, uh, anything outside of the school day is beneficial. I'm not going into that right now, but just want to look at, okay, how much time are people spending on this and are we spending too much time in math? And, I, and my philosophy was to give little assignments but give them consistently so we just, we're in the habit, right? Healthy habit. And that makes me think we're probably going to be doing the book Atomic Habits in the near future because I'm really getting into this idea of thinking about habits or even Keystone Habits by uh, uh, Daniel Duhigg. I don't think that's the title of the book, but Daniel Duhigg, he's got some books on habits. Anyway, sidetrack. So... We looked at, we had students collect data from homework assignments and then did all of our stuff we were supposed to do, all these objectives that we were supposed to take care of. We did those same objectives with this different data set. And you know what they found out? They didn't think I did. I assigned that much homework, which was great. But able to take off a, a context and put on a one that was more relevant. And I, and I, I believe that my students were more engaged because they were dealing with data that they collected that meant something to them, and they were trying to answer a question that was interesting to them. And even the student who wrote, why do we have so much effing? He said, okay, you're not too bad compared to some of my other classes. It was just more, I was more consistent. So he was just complaining about the consistency of it. So that's one thing. Another thing for um, thinking about this idea of creative intervention, I think that's, that's what I've learned, taken away from this podcast is, and something I would have wished I would have done sooner in my teaching. Also think about movement incorporation. So rather than you know, doing everything kind of in your head. Like, how can we use our bodies? How can we think about things? So like, you know, I had, when I was teaching high school mathematics, I had an amazing hallway or a huge entryway that was tile outside of my classroom. And like, why didn't I go out there more often and create a grid so people could, when they're thinking about slope and rise and run, like actually walk it out. Like if they have a problem, they can actually put like cones out for where two points are and walk it out and figure out what the, the equation for the line is, see where the y-intercept would be, or at least kind of have some some visuals for it when they're doing it in their head. They like, oh, I have this physical experience I can connect those things to. So I wish I had been more, more I, would measure, I, I wish I would have been better about putting movement into my class. And I know my colleagues, uh, Dr. Alicia Stapp and Dr. Laura Pryor at the University of Mississippi, where they talk a lot about movement in the classroom, they're really good about that. They're really good about thinking and brainstorming. And once you start thinking about that, it's like a, um, 
it's like a ball rolling, a snowball rolling down a hill, right? You just get more and more creative because you've, you've thought about it in a number of different ways. Again, doing that, doing that preparation up to inspiration, right? If you expose yourself to a bunch of strategies and then you start seeing, you'll start seeing opportunities to use them, right? Within your, uh, within your teaching. And then, um, finally, I had a lot of musical talent, like, uh, in my classrooms or just people have these hidden musical talents that, or maybe they're not so hidden. Maybe I just I did, didn't ask for them. But like, how could we have used those in a class? I love music. And these talents that might not necessarily be connected to the math classroom or the classrooms I've been teaching, how can we say, hey, use these things? And I think about, we did the podcast on, or the episode on Mr. Rogers, and like how he used music as a major part of his teaching, right? What do you do with the med that you feel, right? All these songs that he used in order to, create different um, different learnings around how to pay attention to your emotions, right? Uh, could have been better about leveraging musical talent in my classroom. So again, that's my 2020 hindsight. Now, scenario. And so one thing I've been um, paying attention to while I'm here in Kenya is there's a lack of material resources in the classroom. Over and over again, we've heard like, hey, we, we kind of need some of these things. And that same thing goes for the, in the U.S., the same thing goes for a lot of different... I mean, it's almost like a universal truth. I've seen a lot of classrooms in a lot of different countries, and schools are underfunded, right? And there's, there's, they're being asked to do something, but they don't necessarily have the materials to do with it. So now what, right? And I, I, I'm not saying that we should just deal with the situation and not actually improve it and actually fund our classrooms. Our classrooms need to be funded better. I'm just going to say that. But if we have to deal with the reality, like, but they're not right now, right? So what do we do? And so some of the examples that I saw is how did they're dealing with these lack of resources and the creativity that I saw is like, for example, one I saw yesterday was, you know, they're teaching about the excretory system, right? Excretion, right? Uh, excretory system and they were talking about the kidneys right and so this teacher was talking about well I, I have a picture in the book I can draw something but then he's thinking like what what else can I do to help kids understand what kidneys are and he raises his hand and like said hey how many of you have ever butchered a goat and in this community like that's a pretty common thing or, or have seen it happen and like how many kidneys are there? There's two. What do they look like? And they could add to that knowledge. And so building on the knowledge and using images that are already a part of the, the experiences that students have or that, that those that you're teaching have is, a, is valuable, right? So like let's, let's compensate for this lack of resources by using prior knowledge that students have. Um, another thing was thinking about how do we get kids to work in groups, Right, and we have an overcrowded classroom that I was looking in, like just sixty kids in this classroom, and all of them had books. But then he's thinking, like, okay, how do I get these kids to work together, to to actually form into groups very quickly, right? And he couldn't, like, you know, couldn't move kids around because there's like sixty kids, and they're all they're all positioned in groups. And but you know, how do you make sure that they're working together? So he started saying, all right, the person in the middle, you keep your book open, everyone else closes it. So now all of a sudden, boom, those kids have to lean in, boom, you've created instant groups, right? So immediately has created groups. And so when they're saying, hey, talk to your partners about this thing, they knew exactly who to talk to. That's the people that they're leaning in with. It was like, it was like a cool, like instantaneous way to make groups up. It was, it was pretty neat. And then another uh, teacher was talking about you know, they have tablets that they're using to try to teach typing, but they have 20 tablets, 60 kids in a class. 
thinking about how to do that. Well, we can do some alternating with typing, but then also how do you, you know, use some of the visuals that are available, but I'm in a classroom where the power isn't available, right? Um, way off in the, a corner of the school and there's no power, there's no projector. How can I use it? Well, he has access to a smartphone. And so he's trying to show an image of something. And so he pulls it up on his smartphone and is able to go walk around the class and show it. It's not ideal, but it's like thinking about what the resources I do have and how can I use them, right? And in the Boney Vare podcast, they talked a lot about, you know, his original recording equipment just was not as good, but it still created an interesting sound. Same thing for the Black Keys. Like there's something I guess you use while recording called a compressor. They didn't even know what a compressor was or that you used a compressor until like their... Uh, I don't know, four albums in, <laughs> but is something that, okay, it still created some amazing sound in music, even though they didn't have something that they thought that other people probably thought that they needed. And so again, using that creativity to think about how do I, how do I, um, how do I leverage the situation I'm in to still be creative? And actually the lack of material resources might facilitate more creativity. Right? And so finally we're getting into some for a seven year old. So how can I sum up this to my to Jack, my seven-year-old? He's going to be eight soon, so I have to change up how I'm doing this. But anyway, how do I sum for a seven-year-old for the content of this podcast, um, the Broken Record co- podcast with Malcolm Gladwell, Rick Rubin, Bruce Headlam, and Justin Richmond, just to make sure we're saying everyone there. How do I sum it up? I would say this. Teachers create so those they teach can show their brilliance, right? So the purpose of a teacher being creative and thinking about, you know, and going back to the episode I, I talked about teaching with problems, the Maggie Lampert book, Magdalene Lampert, sorry, Dr. Lampert uh, book, where talking about trying to put things into play to facilitate the relationship between students and content and being creative and creating an environment and creating activities and creating experiences for students to have. I'm creating so, so, those that I teach can show their brilliance, right? And trying to get out of the way and foster that environment. I think, I think Jack can understand that teachers create so that, so those they teach can show their brilliance. I think, I think you would get that. I think that's about all I have. And remember, this is all getting into this word for 2020. My word is create, Right, and I'm curious about maybe what your word is. And if you have, if you have a word for 2020, if this is something that other people do. Put it on some of the social media channels. So that's Instagram, uh, it's LinkedIn, that's uh, Facebook. Probably Instagram and Facebook are the best way. Or you could even send it to me an email. I'm like, how do I get an email? How do I get your email, Joel? Well, that you can go to the Amazon Planet, AmazonPlanet.com, and you can subscribe to the email list. That's a good way. You can also go to Facebook. There's a little, um, I think it says join button or subscribe button. There, you can also hit that to get on the email list. And you can send me an email. What's your word for 2020? Show notes for the episode of the podcast uh, can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 15. We'll post any uh, links to the Broken Record podcast. We'll also post a link to that uh, article mentioned by Carissa and anything else that I mentioned here. And just again, this this podcast episode is sponsored by you. And so if you're looking for other ways to support, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you find this podcast. You can follow on Spotify. You can subscribe and into iTunes, wherever, again, wherever you find podcasts. Again, you can join the Amazon Planet email list. Like I said before, you can find the link on AmazonPlanet.com. There's a button on the front page. You also can find a button on my Amazon Planet Facebook page. Uh, there's... And you're like, why would I sign up for your email list? One, 
You get more information on Amazon Planet. You get notified when I post a new episode. We're going to do some more things with the email list, but for right now, just trying to build up that list. And another thing is you get free coffee every now and then. So every now and then when we pass a, a kind of a major landmark in our downloads, I upload some uh, an image of a Starbucks card that you can then pull up to Starbucks and use. Now, I don't put a ton on there. We don't have a, a ton of money. But I know that uh, my friend... Uh, my family uh, member, Abby, she's gotten out there and got some coffee. So if you're looking for an opportunity to get some some coffee, maybe some free coffee, or to learn more about what's going on with Amazon Planet, you can sign up for that email list. You can also, um, yeah, find me on the internet at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. We're also looking at other ways that you could support if you're seeking out. You can also go to the Amazon Planet store. Link is on the AmazonPlanet.com uh, page. There's a In the header, there's a link, and in the footer, there's a link to the Amazon Planet store. And yeah, that's about it. So thank you. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for sharing some of his music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.